the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. When you put on Christ, what we're saying is, I'm the representation of Christ here in this world. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. But the Bible says there's a third part of our salvation. We were saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. But we will be saved from the presence of sin. There was going to be a place where we no longer are tempted. There's no more pain, no more crying. What's the theological term for this? Yeah, we're glorified. We're seeing Jesus face to face. It happens for the believer before Jesus comes when they die and they see Jesus face to face. But for some people, in some time, in some season, it's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. Hey, so that's a newsflash. Did you know that, church? Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived 30-plus years of perfect life, who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried and God raised from the dead, who ascended into heaven. Did you know the Bible says he's coming back? Jesus is coming back. The New Testament calls this The parousia of Jesus is the culmination of our salvation. And Paul is saying it's closer than it's ever been. So I gave you a little theology lesson, but I want you to think back about everything I just taught you. He says, you need to wake up because your salvation is more near than it's ever been. That means... You're closer to the return of Jesus today than you were yesterday. That means when this service ends, you will be closer to the return of Jesus than you were when this service began. One out of every 24 verses in the New Testament of the Scriptures deals with the second coming of Christ. And yet Paul, even in his life, recognized that a lot of people were beginning to live as if they didn't believe he was coming back. And this, Paul, I'm just going to tell you, a lot of us are struggling with that. I look at those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, and it doesn't seem like we believe the Scriptures when it says that Jesus is coming back. Let me just give you a few of those. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the angel said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. 
The Apostle Paul talks about it. In Philippians 3, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The half-brother of Jesus, James, talks about it. In James chapter 5, in verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain. Peter Peter the apostle talks about it. First Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So the apostle Paul is saying, when you forget that Jesus is coming back, you fall asleep on the job. You don't do what love is supposed to do. You don't live your life as a follower of Christ. I'm so grateful for this season of life where I get to hang out a lot more with my mom. And, and I just need to tell you, sometimes when we talk about big topics, I have to make sure I give disclaimers because I know what my mom is going to say. So, for example, we were talking about something this week, and I said to her, Mom, if Jesus doesn't come back before this happens, and if I don't die before you do, <laughs> we were just talking about some kind of end of life things. But why did I begin with that first part? Because all of my life, I've heard my godly mother say, I believe Jesus is coming back before I die. And she may be right. You know, as I read the scriptures, just FYI, I don't think there's anything else that has to be done to prevent Jesus from coming back. But she may be wrong. I think most of the, the apostles felt like Jesus was going to come back before they died. And all of them gave their life. We don't know. What we know is this. 2 Peter 3.8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We don't know when he's coming back. But we know he's coming back. So we have to ask the question, are we awake? Speaking of my mom, mom, I can remember at least one occasion. I, I remember this. This was the last spanking I got from my mom. And yes, I got spankings and I turned out okay. But the last spanking I got from my mother, it was the last because I laughed. I just started laughing. But she couldn't, she just didn't have it in, in her for it to be very hard. And you know what she said that scared the death out of me? What did she say? Wait till your dad gets home. I mean, I was hiding under the bed. I mean, I didn't want anything to do with that. And, and I think there should be a, a sense of this awareness. If we fall asleep on the job, if we're not living as Christians who are awake, we've got, we've got our... Our Heavenly Father who's sending Jesus to come back for us, and we won't be ready. But that should be a good time for us. It really should be. There's a phrase that's used a lot today, and it's used, and it's not right. You've heard it. People say, the best is yet to come. 
I bet if you went on Twitter right now, you could find a hashtag with thousands of quotes. The best is yet to come. And I'm just telling you, I've lived long enough to know that's not always true. Sometimes cancer's to come. Sometimes divorces to come. Sometimes bankruptcies to come. On this side of heaven, it's not biblical to always say the best is yet to come. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know what we know? The best really is yet to come. We've got something to look forward to because we've got someone to look forward to. If we're going to get this right, we really had better wake up. But if we're going to get this right, he then goes on to say we'd better clean up. What do you need to clean up? No, really. I've pastored long enough. I've figured out. I don't usually have to tell you what the sins are in your life. You know. Well, you need to clean up. What are those things you're doing that God said, don't do that? What are those things you're not doing that the Holy Spirit of God in you is saying, you should do more of this? Paul calls them the ways of darkness. Why is that? Well, even when I was growing up, there were things that were generally done at dark. That's the reason when I was a teenager and I drove, my parents gave me somewhat of a curfew. You know why? This is what they would say. Nothing good happens after that hour. Right? We live in a society where that's kind of changed. I'm, I'm raising my kids in a world in which the deeds of darkness have been brought into the daylight. It's like there's no shame anymore. And so we are trying to represent Christ in that setting. Listen to what Paul said. The night is nearly over. The day's almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. First thing I do every day is I've got to wake up. But you know what the second thing I generally do? Somewhere in there, now there may be some minor diversions. You may get a cup of coffee or somebody came up to me after the last service. They said, Pastor, you left off one thing after wake up. I said, really what? They said, first thing I do after I wake up is I got to pet the puppies. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But somewhere, if your day's going to get going in there, you're going to you're, you're going to take a bath. You're going to take a shower. You're going to clean up. You know why? Because you stink. You can brush your teeth because your breath stinks. Ain't nobody want to be around you like that. You might even put on some deodorant and, and put on some cologne. Why? Because we all need to clean up. Really, the thing, same thing should take place spiritually every day. Before our feet even hit the floor, this is what some of you are saying. We should cry out to God and say, oh, God. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Help me to live my life in a way that honors you. And then we look at those things in our life that need to be dealt with. And he gives us a list. Let me just be frank with you. In a lot of translation, you know what this list starts with? The word orgies. Yep, it's in the Bible. This devious sexual sin. Who's Paul talking to? People in the church. You know what I would tell you after 30 years? 
The same things that folks are struggling with out in the world, there are people in the church that are struggling with some of these same things. And so we have to be reminded that these ways are not of the Lord. The translation I read, he, he, he calls it carousing and then sexual immorality. And Though this is not the, the topic today, let me just remind you that according to Scripture, Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual behavior that is not between a man and a woman who are married to each other. And so while there's a lot of calls for tolerance and, and, and love and acceptance of different lifestyles, let me just tell you, Scripture is consistent on these things. My brother Greg and I were on think on the same reading plan, and we were in Leviticus this morning. Go read Leviticus and, and what it says about how to live your life sexually pure. Failure to do this is living in darkness. And this is what John said in 1 John 1, 6. If you claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So what do we do? We clean up. You know what's interesting before I move on? You know what comes right after sexual immorality and drunkenness and debauchery in this list? Look at it. Dissension and jealousy. So so just in case you thought for a minute I was talking to everybody else, in God's economy, sin is sin. He wants you to get rid of all of it. The Puritans called this mortification. It's putting to death the things of the flesh in you. What do we do? Instead of that, we try sin management. We try to tame these behaviors in our life. You know what that makes me think of? You ever see the stories of these people that decide they're going to get an alligator for a pet and let it grow up in their home? Or they're going to have a tiger or a lion as their pet. And then, shocker, something horrific happens. Why? Because you can't tame that kind of creature to be a pet. And you can't tame your sins by sin management. Jesus didn't die on the cross and raised from the dead just for you to be a better person. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save you from the penalty of your sins and to make you a representative of his glory in this world. So what do you do to clean up? It's 1 John 1, 9. You got to agree with God about your status. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He purifies us. So you might just do that in that morning prayer before your feet hit the floor. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Keep me close and clean as I go throughout this day. If we're going to get this right, we better wake up. If we're going to get this right, we better clean up. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, if we're going to get this right, we'd better dress up. Just go with me here. Who does this? Who wakes up, has their coffee, goes, takes a shower, puts on deodorant, shaves if you need to shave, whatever you do, then puts back on your pajamas and goes to work? Nobody does, well, they do put on their pajamas and go to Walmart. Y'all stop that. That's not okay. That is not okay. 
that's not what we do. We, we put on appropriate clothing to go out and be seen by other people. Tim Keller describes this passage this way. He says, idols cannot be toppled. They can only be replaced by something more beautiful. So when you mortify, you put to death those things that need to be put to death in your life, then you vivify, you bring to life. Puritans call this vivification. You bring to life those things that need to be put on in your life. That's what Paul talked about in Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Galatians, he says it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You clothed yourself with Christ. When you put on Christ, what we're saying is, I'm the representation of Christ here in this world. That takes us back to chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You've probably heard this said. You may be the only Jesus that some will ever see. If that's the case, Professing Christ follower, what kind of Jesus are they seeing in you? Are you putting on Christ? Are you making an effort to represent him well? Or, as he warned us at the end of this passage, are you gratifying the flesh? Because you think you can tame the pet of sin. You see, Scripture teaches... It's what we feed that grows. So we all have these sinful desires, these things that are, are not of the Lord that we're, we're tempted to do. And when we respond to that, guess what? It grows. That's why there's a slippery slope of sinfulness. There are things in our life that you, you may would think you would never do. And the first time you take a step in that direction, you know what? All of a sudden, it's easier to do those things. And those of us who've lived enough know it. Those sinful choices. Whatever you feed will grow. Feed the flesh, watch the deeds of the flesh grow. Feed the spirit, watch the fruit of the spirit grow in your life. Put on Jesus. There are biblical examples of this. Remember the story of the prodigal son? This guy took his inheritance. He went out and partied, lived wild, ended up hanging out with the pigs, had nothing left. Went running to his dad. His dad took him in. What did he do? He took off his robe and covered his son with it. That just tells us the lavish love of the father is greater than the most heinous sins we can commit. Another story. Remember when Jesus went to his friend's house, Lazarus? Lazarus was dead, so Jesus cried out, Hey, Lazarus, come forth! Lazarus rose from the dead. But there was a problem. He came walking out looking like a mummy. You know why? Because he was still wrapped in his grave clothes. So Jesus said, let's get those grave clothes off of him because he's not dead anymore. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about it in this way, putting on the armor of God. He says you're not battling against flesh and, and, and that kind of thing. You're, you're battling against the darkness, the principalities. He's a spiritual realm. So he says, put on 
this belt of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on those shoes of peace. Put on that shield of faith. Put on the sword of the Spirit. He's saying that you put on these things that allow you to live in that way that honors God. Here's a problem. Some of you, you've, you've come out too much and you're not dressed up. You're not put on Jesus. On Monday before I began a busy week, and it was, I put a lot of miles on the car. I was up in the panhandle beginning of the week, about as far as you could go, and then I was down at the bottom of the peninsula by the end. But before I left, I went and visited my friend Rick at the hospital. I got a treat because I didn't know he was about to be discharged, but he was being discharged. So Jan and his wife went out to get the car, and he and I were about to walk out. Uh, the kind nurse had to wheel him out in the wheelchair, so I was just long for kicks and giggles. And, and so I was standing beside him, and as we were leaving the room, I looked at his bed, and I saw the hospital gown. Let me see your hand if you know what a hospital gown is. I go to a lot of hospitals. Ain't nothing pretty about a hospital gown. Ain't nothing fashionable about a hospital gown. In fact, I do a lot of hospital visits, and people in hospital gowns are like doing rehab, and so they're walking down the hall. You don't want to get stuck behind a person walking in a hospital gown. I mean, this is bad news. I turn to Rick, and I say, hey, man, you want to take that hospital gown home? <laughs> and he just started laughing. He said, no, we'll leave that wadded up on the bed. Why? How silly, I mean, how silly would it be to walk around in that thing? And yet that's what some of us are doing. If we're going to get this right, we better wake up. If we're going to get this right, we better clean up. If we're going to get this right, we better, um, better dress up. And by the way, you know how you do that? You're doing some of it today. You get into God's Word just like we're doing. You get around God's people, the church, just like you're doing. You get into his presence so that you can hear from him, just like you're doing. So here's the question. How are things looking on this day in your little corner of the world? Let me ask that a different way. Are you living your life this day in preparation from that day? Jesus is coming back. I know I want to be ready. So how do we do this? Well, remember, the main thing is the plain thing. It's the L-O-V-E. My only hope is that I'm doing this out of response to the love that God's only shown to me. My love does because His love did. So, if you're a follower of Christ, just some questions. Not a cute story, just some questions. How's your love doing? Or have you let idols kind of get in the way? Let me talk about some of those. Has food become a source of comfort for you and not a nourishment? And so it's, it's creating... An unhealthy you? Have you begun to medicate yourself with something like drugs or alcohol rather than looking to God in the appropriate ways for help? 
Are you seeking to, fi- to fill those God-giving, even sexual desires by, by living that out in a way that's not okay according to his word or pornography or illicit behavior or sexual immorality? Have you become a negative person that's always dividing people? Do you live with jealousy? All I've done is mention the few he listed. But we could go on and on. Christ follower, this is for us. It's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. It's time to dress up. But some of you are here and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. For you, for you, there's no better place you could be. It's time to be saved. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.